I don't focus on sustainable or impactful investors. I prefer irresponsible investors and criminals. They have more money, yeah. they're very pragmatic. Mm -hmm. And if you ask them, do you want a financial return and social environmental value? Most of sure, why would I be against it? So welcome back everybody. Rich Rubaker, founder of Collective Responsibility here today with another episode of the Sustainable Ambassador Podcast. Through this episode, I am really excited to have Robert Rubenstein, founder of TBLI, an amazing platform where impact investors come together to learn, equip, and engage. So with that, Robert, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. It'd be great if you could spend a, a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and the work that you're doing. Sure. I think, well, you did a fantastic introductory job. I don't know if I can improve on that. Um, our work has always been to change the financial system so it worked for all stakeholders. And because there is no group more predictable than the financial sector, it's just a bunch of alpha males and females who run up the hill and off the cliff and are overpaid by a factor of four and underperformed by a factor of four. Behavioral change was never really a challenge. The mm. challenge was access. The more money someone had, the more isolated they were. And in the 25 years, our approach has never really changed. I mean, it's maybe more refined, but the story is the same. Do you want a financial return with a social environmental added value? And if you ask most people whether they have money or a little bit, I say, sure, why would I be against that? Mm. It's really an educational issue that people don't realize that they can achieve a market rate return, whatever that is, and improve society or improve the environment if they want to. How did you get started in this space 25 years ago? Not so much because I was polar bear lover. I was just very, I think, instilled in me at a very young age about <clears throat> values, mm. uh, true values and and ethics. And I started the magazine uh, to help educate those individuals. And when the investors pulled the plug while we were on holiday, even though we were close to break even, um, I still wanted to create an economy based on well-being, and I figured I need to increase the pain level of the business community before they will embrace that. So I figured, okay, what are the pain buttons? What are the buttons I could press? Had no money, had no resources. So I saw they were finance, personnel, and reputation. And I looked at which one of those pain buttons could I influence tried personnel teaching MBA students at the Rodham School of Management. Want, you know, don't work for companies if you want to change them when they come to recruit you. I looked at reputation, very complex to influence even for nonprofit. Then I looked at finance and I got a hold of the list in 1998, 97, 98, of all the big asset owners slash managers. So I added up the top 100, uh, added up how much assets they had. And I said, wow, that's almost 20, 25% of all all the assets. So, hey, I only have to convince 100 guys. So that was the idea. There was not a PhD study, but it was very pragmatic. So you had this list of 100 CIOs. <laughs> you have kind of a vision. What, what were the pain points that they were facing that you felt you could solve? And how did you get started solving that? Uh, well, all of them, I would say 100%, because I, I visited some of them, had no idea that sustainability was just an effective way of managing investment. They saw it as a charity, as a nonprofit, not serious, not good deals, not good fund manager, blah, blah, blah. And they kept pushing that myth. But at the same time, they believed the other three myths which is all fund managers reach their benchmark. Biggest lie out there. Two, all private equity funds always get 30 to 40% returns. 
another mega lie. So that, those myths were accepted, even though they were much bigger lies. So it was really a question of, mm. so the challenge was education. They know what they know. Most well, people who have lots of money or are influential hang out with people who already think like them. They yeah. only read certain publications that reinforce their behavior. So getting the, the story through was uh, the challenge. So I always, you know, just kept on knocking on door where, you know, we're a terrier. We don't give up. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, <laughs> we did see a, a shift, mm -hmm. a dramatic increase in interest in ESG, except in typical form, the financial sector chose Coke light. What happened is where nobody was interested, everybody became interested, but they they made a definition that was so weak and so low that right. anybody become a member was like, they all wanted to say, hey, I have a membership card to the fitness club of ESG, but yeah. I never go. Technically speaking then, if, you, if you're finding through the data that there's no losers in ESG when you when you go into that route, but there are losers in traditional finance. What's the benefit or what are the tools that you think make an ESG or sustainably oriented CIO more successful? Like what are they doing differently? What do they see? What data helps them make better decisions? First of all, they have to really buy into it and most don't. So they look at what are we already doing that we can report simply? And if they would really, really think about it, let's think about what are we talking about in our definition of sustainability while you're making profit? Are you worsening, maintaining, or restoring the social environmental balance? Mm -hmm. Under that definition, 99% are worsening and hardly maintaining they're, they're making it worse um but if you aren't at least maintaining or actually improving a couple of things come up one you have a great hrm policy so you don't spend as much money finding the best and the brightest attracting the most brilliant minds to come work for you right secondly you probably have very you use very little energy raw materials, waste, water, uh, fines, etc. You have a much more efficient organization. All of these elements lead to more profitability. In that respect, are there topics where you're seeing genuine traction? Like I, I talked to Alex Edmund at LSE and he said, HR, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, HR is one of those things that they can prove if they get it right, if they have a good culture, they can sure. improve the R, like the, the return or the, the investment worthiness of a brand. But he was saying climate change, they don't have that data to specifically prove that a climate change policy at the company level will improve return in the market. The real issue for most of the company to say, I don't have data, that is total rubbish. The main issue is stranded assets. They have vast investment. I'll give you a simple example. Cement is very polluting. So for every ton of cement, it's between 700 kilos and a ton of CO2. So there's a cement that produces zero CO2, three times stronger, uses salt water, but it doesn't use limestone. So you are Lafarge, or I'm Lafarge, and you're my banker and says, Richard, I've got great news. We're gonna get rid of all of our CO2 emissions from our cement industry. 
I need you to write down $10 billion in loans from all the quarries because we got to shut them down because mm. where are you going to be switching to geopolymer, which is using waste, fly ash, and slag? But we have to shut down the quarries. I got to move to another location. So I need you to write down $10 billion in loans that you give me and give me another right. four or five billion. So what do you think the banker says? No. And that's an example of many, many industries that are stuck because all of the people who work there have a target, have a benchmark, have something. Yeah. If they were told you will be compensated for the reduction in, in our energy use, our waste, our lack of turnover, that you'll get change, behavioral change, but they're not incentivized for that behavior. So using your cement example, or even the the, the car example, a traditional investor would say, hey, you know, I'm making my money. And like you said, my KPI, my bonus, yeah. my, that's all being met. A sustainable impact investor would, should look at this very differently. How do you think that they would look at that differently? And then what's the opportunity to do something different that equally has high rates of return? Well, first of all, let's, let's debunk the idea that traditional investments always have high rates of return. They don't. Right. So the idea that, well, that's, I'm sacrificing. No, you're not sacrificing. You're believing a myth that you're always making money with right. carbon intensive industries. There are so many areas. We made a list of what areas that you can invest at very large amounts. One mm -hmm. of the most simple one is public transport infrastructure. They have to raise $2.3 trillion every year because yeah. public transport. And there's an organization called UITP. They represent 15, 1600 of the world's leading public transport, Hong Kong, Singapore, New York, Paris. They, and they said, um, they asked us, are there other ways of raising money? And I said to them as a joke, when you borrow the money, do you pay it back? They said, yeah, yeah, we're double A rated. We're public-private partnerships. So I yeah. said, go to asset owners. You offer the cheapest, easiest, fastest way to decarbonize your portfolio because you're low carbon because it's public transport, you're no volatility, steady cash flow, yield, et cetera. So then how is the mindset of a sustainable investor different? I don't focus mainly on sustainable or impactful investors because many yeah. of them are, are not being honest. I prefer irresponsible investors and criminals, mainly because they have more money yeah. They're very pragmatic. Mm -hmm. And if you ask them, do you want a financial return, a social environmental value? Most of sure. Why would I be against it? Have an investment that provides a market rate return and yeah. has measurable improvement in society on the environment. That's mm -hmm. fine. That's your cherry on the 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 on yeah. the ice cream. Sure. But focus on the investment, the professional investment approach that you're taking, right? And not the the impact story because. Really, the ones doing the most, they talk the least, and the ones doing the least talk the most. So uh, just don't focus on the impact story. Uh, no, of course, I'm, I'm curious, like in the in the idea of converting criminals, like at some point, yeah. you have to plant a seed in their mind to do yeah. something more sustainable. Like what, how do you do that? What is what is hooking them right now? How, really how do you sell that story? And how long does this take? I'll tell you the fastest one. I was at a dinner and I was sitting next to the German hardcore anti-impact, anti-sustainable, anti-windmills, anti-renewables, everything anti. So what I did is next to me was the head of, at the time, ING, which became NNIP. All of their investment were focused for a long time on ESG. And they had reached, beat their benchmark multiple times. So I introduced him to the German guy. Yeah. And after like 15 minutes, oh, uh, this is really interesting. Can we have a follow-up mm -hmm. call to talk about an allocation. So 
Convincing is easy when you align with what they understand and speak their language. Yeah. Well, you mentioned there's the there's the three attributes, like the self-interest, getting paid. Like if you can explain those three, why you think those are the three, and then how how do you use those three to make a more to, to bring them into the transition. Right. So basically everyone, every investor, whether they're a private investor or a retail investor or institutional investor is focused on self-interest. What's in it for me as an investment, as an idea. So that they get that. That's very simple. Secondly, they're managing money. So they're looking for deals opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, when they see, okay, this is in it for me. Here's where I can invest. And most important than money flows, it's like a car accident. You know, when there's a car accident, it just happens. All of a sudden, there's not many people there. And it starts attracting a crowd. And yeah. soon another crowd attracts to that and another crowd. And so you've got a big crowd. That's the financial sector also. So how has the movement around ESG helped this transition because you talk about like you mentioned it's kind of like light soda it's not fulfilling the promise but is it a step forward and is, do we well yeah where it's, we go from uh, there? we're going in the wrong direction but slower so that's the improvement. I remember there was a big foundation in the Netherlands and they had 500 million in assets in euros. And they said, you know, we want to start doing ESG, but we're not going to do it well. I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to start. So he said to his wealth manager, we want to start doing ESG, maybe ETFs and the next And his wealth manager said, no, no, don't do that. You're going to lose your money. It's very risky, blah, blah, blah. So he said, okay, I'll go find another wealth manager who will. All of a sudden that wealth manager could do it and started right, doing it. Right. And each year they did a little bit better. And that CEO came to me after about four or five years. He said, Robert, you know, it's really not that hard to do ESG if you want to do it, but mm -hmm. it's really hard to do if you don't want to do it. Right. And that was really the issue. What are the, the mechanisms that will drive a pain point into the industry itself to something more sustainable? There's a lot of... That wonderful, exciting people and companies and funds that I know that are very serious and doing a great job and are showing incredible returns, mm -hmm. um, but they're low profile. So it's for you, what's going to change is the money flows, self-interest and opportunity. And when you see other buddies putting money mm -hmm. into this because you think you can make money, that's that's okay. You know, I, I can live with that. That's yeah. the level of awareness where you are. I'm confident that ultimately we will move in this direction, whether we'll be able to move it before truly catastrophic mm -hmm. disaster, I'm not that convinced about that. I think this okay. year is the start of many uh, catastrophic disasters. Um, and people will realize if we did it properly the first time, it certainly would have been a lot cheaper. In that vein, if you're talking to investors who are now looking at this and saying, Robert, I'm, I'm serious this time. I'm going to do it. I'm going to set up a fund. I'm going to transition my fund. What should they do? Like, what are the first three things they need to do to, to, to make that transition successful? So it, it really depends. Where do you want to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? Hmm. Where do you want to go? Uh, and are you serious or are you curious? If you're yeah. curious and you're window shopping, okay, do a little bit of research, make an effort. Too many people just don't want to make the effort to mm -hmm. really understand this. You know, they see uh, Al Gore and and Generation, you know, launching an, a climate fund, an impact fund. But yeah. if they would research, they would find that company, along with most of the U.S. financial institutions, never signed the Montreal Pledge 
mm. which asks to reveal what is your carbon risk for all your investments. Interesting. So there's that's why I say there's no angels, lots of heroes. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many fantastic solutions. You know, I wish yeah. I was a wealthy person um, to, to put money into them. Mm. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not. But if you were a, a wealthy individual who had the opportunity, how would you do it differently than everybody else? For, for me, there, I, would, um, I would invest in a couple of, uh, I'm not a fund manager, so I would be a terrible yeah. fund manager. I'm too enthusiastic. But if you were. But if, if I were. were, I would put it into companies like Solarge, which is the only circular solar panel manufacturer in the world. Another one. A uh, Dutch company that has produced an air conditioning system that has 90% less C uh, CO2 emissions and no Freon. Uh, sure. I would go into biodiversity. I would go into education. I mean, if I had lots of money. You're speaking to a young professional who's looking at building a career in the space of sustainability or impact investment. You know, they're coming out of their MBA or their MFA or whatever they're doing. What, what's the recommendations you give them? What is the point of working for a company that don't align with your values? Right. Are you going to tell all your buddy, hey, I work for JP Morgan or I work for Goldman Sachs or or what all of the others? Uh, no, I don't. I only, I only think you learn bad social skills. So mm. you have to you, you have to make a commitment. If yeah. you don't want to do it, you know, um, there there are some large institutions like Interface and that and Patagonia who are really trying to move, you know, the needle. So look around and feel comfortable. If you decide I want to work at JP Morgan, fine, that's okay. That's your choice. Yeah. But you have to make a decision. What is important to you? Thank you very much, sir. That was fantastic.